Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. All right, everybody, we are in Revelation. Woohoo! We are in chapter 17, and it's just going to roll from here. We're almost through, and uh, we have a few darker days before the happy ending uh, begins in Scripture. But for today and next week, we are going to be talking about the significance of Babylon. And in chapter 17, we see the collapse of religion. And then in chapter 18, we will see the collapse of commerce and government. So do me a favor, put on your pew belts and hang on. So here we go. As God's destruction of this world unfolds, we see the fall of organized religion as we know it exists today. The one religion that becomes hostile to Jesus and his followers comes to a tragic end. And this reminds us to ground our faith in Jesus himself, my friends, not a denomination or a religion or doctrine of man. I'm telling you, nobody's going to be impressed with your church bumper sticker or your church T-shirt or your tithing records or any of those things when it comes time to meet our maker. It'll be what have you done with Jesus? And so our devotion must be pure and it must be wholehearted and grounded in Scripture. So as we begin our time today, why Babylon? Well, as we approach chapter 17 and 18, as I said a moment ago, uh, the nation of Babylon comes into the forefront because through the entirety of Scripture, God has used Babylon to signify the world rebelling against him. Babylon was a literal city on the Euphrates River, according to Genesis 11. And shortly after the flood, God commanded humanity to reproduce and fill the earth. And so even at that time, the people of Babel decided they wanted to do their own thing. So they went and they built a tall tower to symbolize their significance, their power, and their ability to thrive apart from God. You may know it as the Tower of Babel. So in response, God confused the languages of humanity so they could no longer communicate with each other. And as a result of God's intervention, humanity had to spread throughout the entire world. Now, Babylon conquered God's people in Judah, which forced them to run for their lives. The name Babylon is associated with organized idolatry for blasphemy and the persecution of God's people. And you may not know this, but Babylon preceded Christianity. In true satanic form, it anticipated the coming of the Messiah. Now, hold on with me for just a minute as we go through this background, because it's going to be very crucial When we get to the scripture, history records that Babylonian religion was founded by the wife of Nimrod. All I remember from Nimrod is when I was younger and people would say, don't be a Nimrod. Um, But Nimrod was actually the great grandson of Noah. So this is how close to the flood this happened. And so this wife of Nimrod, her name was Samiramis. And she was a high priestess of idol worship, and she gave birth to a son who she claimed was conceived miraculously. Does that sound familiar? And then the son was named Tammuz. 
who was considered a savior. And so archaeologists have found remnants of artifacts that show Mother Sirimus holding the savior infant Tammuz, which predates Christianity. And it's also believed that her miracle child, Tammuz, was killed by a wild beast and then miraculously brought back to life. Baal was the local Canaanite name for the Babylonian Tammuz. So when you see the prophets of Baal, it is a false Messiah. Now, I don't want some of you, like some of you, when you get into your, your seminary classes and your Bible classes, and this teacher will tell you where there's no such thing as Jesus and, and the resurrection and the virgin birth because there's been stories about this even before Christianity. This is not disproving what Jesus did. This is showing that from the very beginning, after the fall of man and the reset of the flood, that sin was already trying to produce its best counterfeit for what Jesus would do for us. So where are we today? I share this background with you to set up our scripture for today and next week to both deal with Babylon. So let's jump in. Verses 1 and 2, we see that the world fell in love with the wrong woman. The world fell in love with the wrong woman. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, and it says, One of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls came over and spoke to me. Come with me, he said. And I will show you the judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters. The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immortality. What do we see in these two verses? Number one, we see that judgment is coming, and the judgment has already been made. You see, the angel invites John to see the judgment, this doesn't mean that they're going to get together and form a committee and decide what they were going to do. This means that the judgment has already been made and the angel is inviting John to look and see how this is going to be carried out. It's showing John how the judgment will unfold. And now here we have the symbolism of who is the great prostitute. The great prostitute is called Babylon And it represents the early Roman Empire and its many gods that's hands were soaked with the blood of Christians that they had martyred. In contrast to the prostitute, we know that Christ is coming back for his church. You and I are his church. And what do they call the church? The bride of Christ. So here we have the world represented by this great prostitute. And we have the church represented by Christ's bride in contrast to the prostitute Christ's bride the church is pure and obedient and we are to give all of our heart and love and devotion to Christ but the wicked city Babylon contrasts the heavenly city of Jerusalem Babylon symbolizes the world that we live in that is hostile to God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You cannot tell me that we don't live in a world today, even in our own Anderson, South Carolina. It's becoming harder and harder to say that you are a Bible-believing Christian because when you say that, people will put certain labels on you that are not favorable and not even accurate. But it's happening. It's becoming harder to be a Christian. Even today, Churches and Christians are watering down biblical principles in churches so they don't offend other people. Denominations in the hearts of believers who claim to know Christ are becoming weak. The problem is is they love the prostitute more than they love the bride. It's like cheating on a marriage. 
When we love the world more than we love Christ, we are cheating on the bride of Christ. We are committing adultery on the church. So if we are the bride of Christ, yet love the world more than him, we are cheating on him with an unholy substitute. Do you see the double standard here? If a spouse were to cheat with a prostitute, then they would be seen as horrible, unloving, and standing in the need of judgment or even divorce. However, if you and I are tempted every day to place our affections on something that is meant for Jesus, but we put it on something that is of the world, we are doing the very same thing. We need to check our hearts, don't we? And it says that she sits over many waters. Remember, the book of Revelation is a book of symbolism. And when it says that she sits over many waters, that means that the prostitute will preside over many nations. Many commentators like to say that she represents the Catholic Church. However, false religion is not limited to one church denomination. It will be anyone in that day, anyone, any system, any religion that rejects Jesus Christ and God's word. Fake religions and cults will come together for a religion that tolerates all beliefs and it skirts the issues of sin and is hateful toward Christian believers, Christ believers. So when we, well, hopefully we're not going to be here, but when the Christians of the Great Tribulation are going through that, there is going to be an active one world religion that hates Christians, but calls itself worship. People of this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. This means that the people of the world have rejected God in favor of their own abilities, their wealth, their power, their pride, their violence, and especially their false worship. When it says the kings of the earth, it says it may simply decide or describe the rulers in contrast with the rest of the people. But an application we could take from these two verses is this invitation to John to see and record this vision is a preview for everyone who is listening and reading today. And so what does that say to you and me? That means even today, right in this moment, that if we place anything or anyone above our love and devotion for Jesus, it will attack our faith and ultimately lead to our demise. Okay, that's two verses. Got 16 more. That's all right. Here we go. The one world religion will crave the blood of martyrs. The one world religion will crave the blood of martyrs. It says in verse 3, So the angel took me in the spirit into the wilderness. While it says in the spirit, that means he didn't know if he was literally there or if he was seeing something, but it was a vision. And there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that had seven heads and ten horns. And blasphemies against God were written all over it. So we see here in verses 3 through 6 that there is a vision of judgment. Notice John is taken into the wilderness. Does that ring a bell for any of y'all? Come on now, this is good old VBS 101 here. Who was in the wilderness for 40 years? The the people of Israel, they had rebelled against God. So we, we see this is a vision of rebellion. The great prostitute rides the same beast, the seven heads and ten horns, that was previously seen in Revelation 13, 1. So the beast that the great prostitute is riding is the Antichrist. 
So we see that the Antichrist and this false one world religion will be working together. <clears throat> the fact that the woman is sitting on the beast indicates that she is supported by the political power of the Antichrist. Government and religion will be paired together. Right now, everybody screams separation of church and state. And it's not it, the way it was set up is not the way it's being applied, but that's another sermon for another time. But during the Great Tribulation, you will see government and you will see this one world religion become one. Does that not scare you? That scares me. From God's point of view, this religion will be a blasphemy to his name. However, the world will see it is quite religious. Do you see the rumblings of that even starting today, my friends? Do you see the, the rumblings of if you are woke enough and you are tolerant enough and if you side skirt enough of what the Bible says, you can be seen as the most wonderful religious person that ever lived if you discard what the Scriptures say and if you give up what you believe the Scriptures teach. The spirit of the one world religion is here already, my friends. Think about it this way. A religion that everybody wants to be a part of? If that were the case, every church right now and this morning would be packed. But everybody's going to want to be a part of this. I'm sure the celebrities are going to tweet about it. There's going to be some hashtags. There's going to be, um, you know, the pressure to, to conform to whatever this religion will be. But Jesus said himself that the world would hate him. That alone should prove that Jesus... And the one true God will not be the focus of any worldly religion. It will be the Antichrist. Verse 4 says, The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing and beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious pearls. Folks, can you see the deceptive majesty, this one world religion, as royal and majestic and powerful? Folks, they have taken a great prostitute and put kingly robes on her. They have taken something that is vile and unholy, and they have made it important. They have made it majestic. And her costly and attractive attire suggests that the prostitute's outward beauty and attraction. So in other words, everybody's going to love to be a part of this one world religion. In her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and the impurities of her immorality. The gold goblet filled with wine alludes to Jeremiah's description of Babylon's worldwide dominance and influence in idolatry. So folks, Jeremiah spoke about this in Jeremiah 51 verse 7. This is not new stuff. The Old Testament is corroborating the revelation in the New Testament. The revelation is probably one of the most Old Testament-y type written books in the New Testament. It says in verse 5, a mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. So in Revelation 12, we see a woman that represents Israel. Now we see a woman that represents idolatry and false religion. And the name on her forehead identifies her in more ways than one. You may not know this, but back in the day when this was written, for Roman prostitutes, they would have them wear headbands with their names on them. You know, hi, my name is, and put the sticker on, right? Uh, they, they would have their names so you know who they are, and I don't know if they tracked them. I don't know, you know, if it was for tax purposes or, or why they did that. But for some reason, the prostitutes of that day 
would have to wear their name on their forehead. And this one had obscenities against God. And no matter how well she was dressed, and no matter how good she looked, she was still a prostitute. Verse 6 says, I can see that she was drunk. And check, this is, this is vile. I can see that she was drunk. Drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. I stared at her in complete amazement. Not only did this false religion identify those believers in Jesus that had died as martyrs, she reveled in it. She celebrated as much as you've ever seen someone that is drunk and happy at a party. This woman has the false feeling of trust. She thinks that she has won. Again, a religion that is reveling and supporting and making it known to everybody that they're making a joke out of the blood of martyrs that died for Jesus. This is the part in the movie where you think, how in the world is good ever going to triumph evil? Because evil is just reveling in their victory. But do not be confused, my friend. Every drop of blood that has been shed by a martyr has grown and strengthened the church. The days of biggest church growth come in days of persecution. We shall see if that's the case, because persecution is coming. And Christians in many parts of the world know that faith in Christ amounts to a death sentence. Though we worship in freedom, we must not forget to pray for their brothers and sisters in Christ, who are in difficult parts of the world, even today. Okay, now verses 7 through 15. We've got a big chunk here we're going to walk through. Here is the interpretation of the great prostitute. Starting at verse 7. It says, Why are you so amazed? The angel asked. I will tell you the mystery of this woman and the beast with seven heads and ten horns on which she sits. So in other words, the angel said, Don't worry, you're not going to have to figure this out. I'm going to spell it out for you. The Antichrist will support the work of the false world religion during the Great Tribulation. The Antichrist will support the work of the false world religion during the Great Tribulation. This explanation revolves around the beast that the great prostitute sat upon like she was writing it. The beast was supporting the work of the great prostitute. So whenever the Antichrist comes on scene, he is going to have... A major role promoting this one world religion. And you might think, well, this is, you know, you know, further down the road or this is really far fetched. And look, I'm not one of those people that are going to try to tell you by reading this that that we are in the last days and it's going to happen in the next five years or next two years. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know that every day we must prepare for it. So when you're watching your news. And you can get off all of the, the Trump and the Biden and all that stuff that we got going on and start listening to other things that are happening in the world. Start listening to what's happening in the Middle East. Start listening to what's happening in the European Union as all of these countries are coming together and they are combining their monies for the euro dollar and they are combining and trying to work peacefully to work together. It's just going to be a matter of time before that one world religion is spawned out of all of this. We read Revelation with an American perspective when we need to read it from a world perspective. In a lot of ways, America doesn't get it. It's all about the Middle East, folks. It's all about what's happening in other parts of the world. He says that 
verse 8, the beast you saw was once alive, but it isn't now. And yet he will soon come up out of the bottomless pit, the abyss, and go to eternal destruction. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were written in the book of life before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. Again, we see in this vision, they have gone back in the timeline to where the beast comes out of the ground. And as I told many of you, maybe this is the first time hearing this, but when Revelation is written, it is written in a very Hebraic style, meaning that it's not a timeline of this happens and then this will happen and this will happen. If you try to put Revelation in some type of chronological order or path that leads you to an end date, you are going, that's a practice in futility. Because the way it is written, the reason we had the trumpet judgments, the bowl judgments, the woes, is that what is happening is that they are, in each time, they are writing out what's going to happen, and then they retell it, and they add a little something else. And they retell it again and add a little something else. So, so don't look at it as a ruler. Look at it as a sub-sandwich. The more you pile on it, the more detail it's going to get, and the juicier it's going to get. I know I shouldn't talk about food because y'all are thinking about lunch. But, and I am too, to be honest with you. And the people who belong to this world, whose names were not written in the book of life, before the world was made, will be amazed at the reappearance of this beast who had died. I hope we are watching this from the cheap seats. <laughs> I hope we are watching this from way above. We see here that this beast, as the Antichrist, is also mentioned in Revelation chapter 11, verse 7, and chapter 13, verse 1. So that we can say with confidence that this great prostitute, this one world religion, is being supported by the Antichrist. Verse 9 says, The cause for a mind with understanding. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. This is where it gets kind of hairy. Hang with me. The seven heads of the beast represent the seven hills where the woman rules. They also represent seven kings. Five kings have already fallen, and now the sixth now reigns, and the seventh is yet to come, but the reign will be brief. That almost sounds like the old Abbott and Costello bit. Who's on first? How in the world can we understand this? Many biblical commentators, when they get to this point, they rush to the seven mountains and call the seven mountains Rome. And then when they take it to Rome, they go straight to the papacy. Because Rome is well known as the city on seven hills. And so many commentators will tell you that the one world religion is going to spawn out from the Pope and from Roman Catholicism. Now, some of us that have family members or friends that are in Roman Catholicism, it doesn't mean that they are all part of the one world order. Because as I said earlier, it's not just Catholicism, it's any religion that is set up apart from Christ. And the truth of the matter is, is if you really translate this passage, the word they're using is not hills, but mountains. The word literally means mountains, not hills. But also in the Bible, mountains are sometimes a figure of governments. If you go back to Daniel chapter 2, verse 35, and the city of Rome is built on hills, not mountains. So there is no doubt that Roman Catholicism will play a strong part in the world religion. However, the religion will be much bigger than just Catholicism. 
Now, popes have been known to welcome and embrace other religions for the purpose of unity. I'm all for unity. With the, I mean, I'm all for that. If we can work with other denominations and we can, we can work together to make Christ known, then amen. But I cannot work with and will not work with any denomination that does not support Jesus Christ as the only means of forgiveness of sins and as the only means of eternal life. But yet we see here in, in addressing a prayer gathering of Christians, Muslims, Jews, Buddhists, and others, Pope John Paul II told participants their efforts were unleashing profound spiritual energies in the world and bringing about a new climate of peace. So the Pope pledged that the Catholic Church intends to share in and promote such ecumenical and interreligious cooperation. I'm sorry, folks. We have nothing in common with the Muslims or the Buddhists. Anybody that puts their faith in something other than Jesus Christ. But when this one world religion happens, all of these are going to be thrown into the pot like a good old stew. I'm going back to food again. Good gracious. But we all get the picture. Even the current Pope, Pope Francis, he's doing some amazing work, by the way. And I'm not trying to throw the popes under the bus or Catholicism under the bus, but in an interview that that drew a lot of criticism, not only from Christians, but from Catholics as well. In an interview, Pope Francis said, this is his words, the current Pope, each of us has a vision of good and evil. I want you to listen very closely to this. Each of us has a vision of good and evil. We have to encourage people to move towards what they think is good. Everyone has their own idea of good and evil and must choose to follow the good and fight evil as he conceives them. That would be enough to make the world a better place. Folks, this is sweet. This will be something that people would love to promote and tweet and put out on their Facebook. It sounds very welcoming, but folks... Do you hear what it just said? It said, as long as you follow what you believe is good and do that good, then this world will be a better place. There's something called relativism that is out there, folks. And what that is, is and it, you may have seen this or maybe it'll make sense when I say this, but the spirit of relativism, relativism is this. You believe what you believe and I believe what I believe. And in the end, we'll all be okay. If you believe that Muhammad is the way, then okay, go for it. If you believe that that uh, the Mormon's way is the way to go to heaven, then, then you'll find it. If you believe you're Christian, okay, everybody is everybody is great. That is the biggest bunch of hogwash I've ever heard in all my life. Everyone does not get a trophy. Everyone does not get a pass. If you have a loved one that dies and does not have their faith in Jesus Christ, they are dying and going to hell. I'm sorry. It's not my word. It's this word. That's why it's so important for us to get out and share the gospel and tell them the truth. Not that we are better than anybody else. I am the chief of sinners. But I do know this. I knew that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And then no man comes to the Father except through him. Not my preaching, not your good cooking, not your good fellowship, not all your good teaching that you do, but because of what Jesus Christ does. Oh, I got off on that one. I'm sorry. Let me get back to my notes. Check this out. With that, that quote that he made, let me show you Proverbs 29, 18. 
For many years, especially back in the 90s, this verse was misquoted a lot. They would say, where there is no vision, the people perish. And they would leave it at that. And then preachers would come up with all the great vision statements for their churches. This is our vision. This is what we want to do. But that is not what this verse is saying. It's not talking about a business vision. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. But the but he that keepeth the law, happy is he. What this passage is saying is that where there is no vision of God's word and his standards, the people will perish. I don't know about you, but if you go to a, some of you have small children, and let's say you take them to a play date, and you take them and they're all in the backyard playing on the the sandbox and the, what do you call it? Swing sets and all that stuff. And there's a pool and they're all, woo, having a good time, rocking the pool back and forth with, by jumping in it. But you look around and there's no parents. No parents. And then you see all of a sudden the kids are now from trees and jumping off trees into the pool. Or all of a sudden you see them having food fights and you see them picking on the smaller kids. You going to leave your kid there? I don't think so. Unless some of you say, well, my, I'll leave my kid there. That's showing what's wrong. Y'all are redneck. Don't do that. Oh, I've just offended somebody. I'm sorry. I don't think you can say that nowadays. But the truth of the matter is, what I'm trying to say is, you wouldn't drop your child off in the middle of chaos where there's no supervision to let them figure it out on their own. Would you? I don't think so. The truth of the matter is, is that when we let people work out whatever they want to do and whatever you believe is going to be okay, everything is relative, then we are letting the kids run wild with no supervision. Spiritually and theologically. When you have a religion that consists of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes, the people perish. What's right for one is not right for the other. Okay, let's go back to the, the five have fallen thing real quick. Where it says five have fallen, that refers to the world empires before John's day. Like Egypt and Assyria, Babylonia, Medo-Persia and Greece. The sixth one refers to the Roman Empire or the empire of the day when John heard this, which was Rome. The seventh yet to come refers to the one world empire to come. Many think it's a revival of the Roman Empire. And the reason I said earlier that you need to watch out for the EU is that many years ago in like 1957, before the EU was formed, the, the genesis of that was a group of countries that came together to work towards working to one another, which spawned into the, the EU, the European Union. And if you look at the history of that, and if you look at what it's doing today, that could be the next empire. I'm not saying it is, but it very likely could be the next empire that is going to, to thrive at some point. Now, verse 11, the Antichrist is divided, is, excuse me, now the Antichrist is identified as the eighth king. Verse 11 says, the scarlet beast that was, but is no longer, is the eighth king. He is like the other seven, and he too is headed for destruction. The ten horns on the beast, the ten, are the ten kings who have yet risen to power, and they will be appointed to their kingdoms for one brief moment to reign with the beast. They will all agree to give them their power. And authority. Together they will go to war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will defeat them because He is Lord of all lords and King of all kings, and He is called and chosen and faithful. Ones will be with Him. 
Verse 15 says, Then the angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent the masses of people of every nation and language. So we see here, the great prostitute will have worldwide influence due to her connection with the Antichrist. That is why she is sitting on top of the Antichrist. There will be a one world religion, maybe initiated, but at least sort um, supported by the Antichrist. And now, here we go, verses 16 through 18. See, this has been fast, right? This is revelation at a glance. The Antichrist destroys the one world religion. And just a drop of a hat, here comes the other shoe to fall. Revelation 16 says, The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. Even though she was, she was riding on top of it. <coughs> it says they hate the prostitute. They will strip her naked, which means they will shame her. They will eat her flesh and burn her remains with fire. So just in a moment, the beast turns on the great prostitute. The anti- why, does the, why does the Antichrist do that? Because the Antichrist wants everybody to worship him and him alone. This one world religion was just a vehicle to get him to that point. The violence probably takes place at the midpoint of the tribulation period. And here, apostate religion discovers the true nature of the beast. We learned earlier in Revelation and from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that the Antichrist will place himself in the temple and demand to be worshipped. Many tyrants and governments throughout history have used religion to gain power and then turned on that religion. The Antichrist no longer needs the one world religion, so he destroys it. This one world religion, whatever it is, is going to be gone. And all you will be able to do is worship the Antichrist. And that's all people will want to do, is worship the Antichrist, this fake Jesus. What do we learn from this? Evil by its very nature discards and destroys those it uses when it is finished with them. Evil by its very nature discards and destroys those it uses when it is finished with them. Maybe you know people that have gotten hooked on evil things, evil habits, evil addictions. And then when they, when evil is done with them, it will just let them destroy themselves. Encourage them to destroy themselves. And that is why I'm praying that somebody, that if there's anybody hearing this message, either here today or from this video, that you feel like that evil has taken you as far as it's going to take you. And now it wants to take you out. My friend, stop following evil urges. Stop following evil people. Stop following evil forces because end of the day, it will destroy you and it does not care about you. All evil wants is for you to promote it so we can get to somebody else. We see that in this passage. This is how evil operates. If you align yourself with evil, my friends, evil will always put its needs over your own. Verse 17, regardless of what happens in Revelation, God is always in charge. Notice it says, for God has put a plan into their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast, and so the words of God will be fulfilled. 
Do not think that God is just withdrawing himself and letting things happen as they happen. This, as the angel told John, is God's judgment. God's judgment is, okay, big boy, okay, big girl, I'm going to give you what you wanted. That's what the judgment is. You want it so bad, you got it. You want to reject me, have it your way. You want, to, you want to discard everything that I want to do for you? You want to take the blood of my son Jesus Christ and disregard it and not accept it? Okay, well then you're going to get the consequences of that. You are going, the things that you are following is going to take you to your demise. I gave you a chance, but this is part of the judgment. You wanted it. You deserved it. You got it. Good luck. God is in total control of all of this. God's plan always overrules evil. God even uses the plans of evil to accomplish his will. Although God allows sin in the world, the earth will come to no sin. In verse 18, And this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the king of the world. Folks, there are many cities and countries today that are models of Babylon. Cities that have have totally through Christianity and the belief in God and the belief of morals to the side. That they have just made pursuing passion and pursuing sin and pursuing whatever they want their main thing and it is destroying the cities. The spirit of Babylon is alive and well today. Even in good old Anderson, South Carolina. The spirit of Babylon is here. We've got a job to do, church. We've got to share the gospel. We've got to show love. So as we wrap up this message, Satan's counterfeit religion is subtle. Satan's counterfeit religion, this one world religion, is subtle, but it's deadly. As a Christian, you must use biblical discernment in your worship. It is my prayer that when you go home or you're following along with me, or you go back and watch this later, I pray you read the scriptures for yourself and check me on this. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to do the best I can as the way God has led me, but ultimately we have to make sure that what we hear, put into our ears, and put into our hearts is grounded in scripture. Look, I'm telling you, I have seen it too many times. Some great charismatic speaker will get up in front of people and say, I've got a special way. No one understands it like I do. Take my word for it. And then they start saying everything that they believe is right. They even sprinkle scripture verses on it, but they are out of context and what they are saying is wrong. You've got to be careful. The Bible calls them false prophets. And I'm not saying I'm any better than anybody else, but I do know this. At the end of the day, if you give me a report card about what is Scripture and what is not, I hope that I at least make a passing grade because I make every attempt to make sure that what I share is Scripture because my words and the way I deliver them are not going to change your hearts. It is the Scripture and the Holy Spirit that will do that. So, my friend, you must use biblical discernment in your worship of God. Parents, grandparents, teach your children scriptures. It's not the church's job. It's your job. We will, like a good coach on a team, we will encourage you and provide tools and opportunities to equip you to do that. 
But at the end of the day, God is going to judge you. We have got a, a generation of spiritually illiterate adults and children now, and that is why we are in the shade that we are in, because they think if we get together, sing the right songs, stay the right amount of time, and do the right amount of religious duties, then we're going to be okay, never consulting the Scriptures on what God wants for our lives and our children. In every age, there is tremendous pressure to conform to popular religion and to abandon the fundamentals of faith. What are you going to do when your child or your grandchild comes home from good old Anderson, South Carolina schools, and they say, oh, by the way, everybody is a racist now. Or Jesus isn't real. Or, you know, this is, we, we shouldn't go to church because they're a bunch of fake people. I'm not saying that would happen, but it could. It's happening in other areas, and it could happen in good old Anderson, too. What are you going to do, parent? Are you going to say, well, that's not right? Go up, yell at the principal, and have no biblical grounds for it, no prayer, no people supporting you? Our church has become lazy and just want to take the word of other people instead of taking God at His word. I'm not preaching revelation to give everybody a, a ooh, ah, funny feeling. I'm saying, look, this is going to happen. Prayerfully, we're not part of it. But we prepare for this now. Do not believe the lie that whatever you believe is right for you. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man or no one can come to the Father except through me. That's John 14:6. Finally, I would say trust God alone and refuse to worship evil. As we saw in the morning passage, when evil is finished with you, it will discard you. And you say, well, pastor, I'm at church. I would never worship evil. When you decide to do your own way, other than what God has called you to do, that is evil. When you decide, I'm just going to fake it today. I'm just going to phone it in today. I need an off day. When God is calling you to do something and you don't do it, that is sin. And there are a lot of people because, and I'm going to go ahead and meddle, there are a lot of people because of COVID-19, they need to stay at home because it's still a real threat to many people. But there are a lot of people that are staying at home that shouldn't. There are a lot of businesses that are cutting corners because they shouldn't. There are businesses that are begging people to come work for them, but people won't do it because they're waiting on their stimulus checks. Don't be that type of Christian. Don't sit back like a baby bird and open your mouth and say, feed me, feed me, feed me. It's time for us as a church to get out of the nest and fly. And to not do that is disobedient. Rid yourself of those sins, those thoughts, the spiritual apathy, immorality, and bitter thoughts, because God is in control. I'll finish with this. Religion will fail, but serving God will last for eternity. Do you know the difference? Let's pray. God, I come before you now and I thank you that your word is preparing us for a day I hope to endure. But Lord, there are many people that we come into contact with every day that that could be right in the middle of this. And Lord, help us not to lax on our commitment to you and your word. If there's someone here today that has realized that they have let other things come into the place of where their faith is and that evil is trying to, to work on them, Lord. 
and they just want to confess their dependence upon you, maybe even recommit their life, be baptized, whatever it may be, we're going to have a time of invitation. And as we will look up and see people holding on to the pews with white knuckles because they don't want to get up, maybe one, Lord, if there's one that you are working in, maybe today will be the day of their deliverance and their salvation. Maybe someone just wants to come to the altar and pray. If you want to make a decision for Jesus today, if you want to accept him as your Savior and Lord, or if you want to recommit your life and rid yourself of those things that have accumulated in your life, this is your moment. Would you please stand?